This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. This is Fresh FM, your community access radio station. Broadcasting across the top of the south in Nelson, Tasman on 104.8, Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, Blenheim on 88.9 and the Nelson CBD on 107.2 and streaming to the planet through our website freshfm.net. Welcome to our show, Heads Up, brought to you by the Brain Injury Association, Top of the South, with help from the Neurological Foundation, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9am. Special mention to our fantastic sponsors, the Nelson Clinic, and of course, Fresh FM for making this show happen. Alright guys, my name's Emma, I work at the Brain Injury Association Top of the South. Um, I'm just here to have a wee chat about Heads Up, our show that we have here on Fresh FM. Um, it has historically been running for quite some time, however uh, the format of the show is changing. So our fantastic Peter Berland, who is one of our long-standing members um, at the Brain Injury Association, will be hosting the show and sharing with you all uh, the Brain Injury Support Group whereabouts every month, how to contact us and what's coming up the following week. Pete has been involved in this show for many years and is super passionate about helping people and, and inform those living with brain injury. We're very excited to announce the Neurological Foundation will be collaborating with us on the show and providing some amazing content. We'll have interviews with renowned doctors and scientists and information and education. A little bit about the Neurological Foundation, if you're unaware, uh, is a New Zealand charity that funds vital research and ongoing education into neurological conditions, which includes diseases and disorders of the brain, spine and nerves. The Foundation's sole focus is to work towards the treatment, management and prevention of the neurological conditions by funding research and education. One in five New Zealanders suffers from a neurological condition. A little bit around the Brain Injury Association and what we do is we provide advocacy for people, support, information and education to the top of the South. We help people navigate the health system after having a brain injury, which can be really hard work. Uh, we also have a membership and support groups that we run weekly. These are a great way for people to keep socialising and just to have support. You do not have to have a brain injury to come to these support groups. You can also be a family member living alongside brain injury because you also need some support too. Both the Brain Injury Association and the Neurological Foundation are not-for-profits and need your ongoing support to continue help people in our community. Head to these websites if you wish to donate, braininjury.nz or neurological.org.nz. This is Kelly Bain from the Neurological Foundation and as always a big thank you to the Brain Injury Awareness to Top of the South for being so generous and inviting us here to be part of their radio segment. Joining me today is Dr Indranil Basic. Welcome Indranil. Uh, Hello. Indranil is a postdoctoral fellow in Dr. Stephanie Hughes's lab in the Department of Biochemistry. 
He joined the University of Otago, I think it was June 2018, was it? And you know, gosh, the years are going past, uh, with an aim to understand the underlying mechanisms involved in neurodegeneration and Batten disease. Now, when you were before that, you're a PhD, did your PhD in biological sciences in St. John's University in New York. And that was focusing on Parkinson's disease, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? So we were very lucky that you moved to New Zealand um, to follow your passion, studying genetics and neurodegeneration. Um, So thank you so much for joining us today. I'd really like it if you could start the conversation to expand on that, on also a bit about how those diseases maybe interrelate because of of your interest um, and actually some of our listeners won't know what Batten disease is. They would have heard of Parkinson's, I'm sure, but if you can also give a bit of an explanation about what those diseases are, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, Kelly. Um, Kia ora, everyone. Um, So as Mm -hmm. Kelly mentioned, I'm Indranel, and um, I have a background um, in research in neurodegeneration or brain disease, as you can say. Um, So during my PhD, I learned a few things um, about Parkinson's disease, and I discovered a few things about Parkinson's disease, and that's where kind of the passion came in, and I wanted to know more and more about the brain cells mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and what happens in these brain cells when um, they're affected by a disease. Um, Associate Professor Stephanie Hughes, she gave me this opportunity to join her lab and start working on this childhood disease called Batten disease. Now, if you don't know about Batten disease, it's normal because it's a rare disease, and um what happens in Batten disease is, if you ask me what is Batten disease, I can tell you that it's a combination of Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, and epilepsy. Now, you put all these three diseases and you mm. put it into, a, say, two-year-old kid. Can you imagine how horrible that can be? So it's a childhood disease that can um, uh, affect a kid at the age of six months, and the kids do not survive beyond 15 to 20 years. Mm. And um, even worse is there is no cure. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one treatment for one um, form of the disease, um, but it costs like a whopping, I think, 750,000 US dollars. So there's lots of different types or, yes. or versions of Batten disease. So when you say, yes. sorry, I'm interrupting, but when you say six months, um, how how would you figure that out? Because there's a lot of developmental, you know, yes. milestones. Yeah. So so this is basically um, sequencing. Um, I would say um, that has helped. Like we sequence genome, and if there is a mutation, right. as, as I was saying, like there are different forms of the disease. There are thirteen forms of the disease, and these thirteen forms of the disease are caused by mutations in single genes, thirteen different genes. Um, and these mutations are, um, um, they are, you can say, detected um, by doing sequencing of the genome. So if someone has um, a mutation in that gene, um, that person is likely to develop symptoms when they um, grow up. Like that kid uh, is probably going to develop some symptoms. And these symptoms, as I mentioned, is a combination of Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and epilepsy. Um, so problems are basically unable to walk, talk, eat, um, do any of the 
normal activities that a kid um, should do yes. or can do. Um, and um, as I said, like they don't um, survive beyond like 15, 20 years. Uh, and so very hard to probably diagnose from six months to maybe 13, 14 months when walking, for example, and crawling mm. comes at different, le- you know, different months to, for different children which is normal. So you probably don't know something is a little bit different and not quite right um, with those, until those milestones are well and truly should have been accomplished by then. So it's hard. Yeah, I mean, there are, of course, um, uh, family histories that help, um, uh, like genetic backgrounds of families of the parents that always help. There are diagnostic tests um, that can be run um, on newborn babies and um, these diagnostic tests actually help mm-hmm. um, to decipher whether a person is going to develop the disease or not um, and um, as I said like these diseases are caused by mutations in these genes and these genes the mutations in the d- genes lead to malfunctioning proteins and these malfunctioning proteins finally causes some changes or a lot of changes actually mm-hmm. in the brain cells and the brain cells start dying, and that's where the neurological conditions um, or the symptoms come up. Gosh, and you say it's a rare disease. Yes. Have you got numbers? Like, can you give us something that so we know At people in New Zealand? Um, so it's, it's said that one in 12,500 um, person can actually have the disease. That's not but that the, rare, is it? One in 12,500? No, that doesn't no, sound it, rare. It's, yeah, it's, it's worldwide, <laughs> um, but... Um, it's it's kind of like a predicted number, right? But if you look at um, New Zealand at this point, mm. I think there are three or four kids in New Zealand um, that have the disease that um, are affected by the disease. And um, in the US, the number is of course um, higher. The striking feature that we have noticed in the last um, two to three years is there are a lot of cases, a lot of studies coming up. Um, from the Asian countries like China and India Mm. um, and we don't know why suddenly these numbers are growing um, probably because of the diagnosis as you mentioned like it's hard to diagnose and probably 10 years back 20 years back people didn't know that a kid might have Batten disease but Mm. now since the diagnostic test has improved there are more and more cases coming up Um, so yeah and so um, like anything and I know this isn't to do with research, but if you find that your child isn't meeting those milestones like the other children that you may have had or just your general knowledge, GP is your first place to start? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first things first is like, yeah, consult your doctor. If the doctor is, if your physician recommend um, to go to a neurologist, go to a neurologist um, and um, look at the symptoms. Now, of course, there are, as I said, there are no treatments, no cures. That yes. makes it even more hard. hard. Um, yeah. Um, but what the treatment options, as I said, like the first, first drug, I would say it's an enzyme replacement therapy. That was discovered a few years ago um, and that um, kind of rectifies a, one form of the disease. Right. Um, the, the children have shown that the symptoms are going away with age, which is really good. Mm. Um, but again, it's it's not a cure. It's not like a um, correction of the problem. Yes. It's like we are treating the symptoms. The symptoms are going away, but the gene is still bad in there and we are trying to replenish it with um, 
like a good form of the protein. Okay, so so yeah. research has helped yeah. their lives or the quality yes. of it. Well, we still need to understand a little bit more. And when you yes. said Batten disease is like uh, Parkinson's um, epilepsy, and I think you said what was in Alzheimer's. Yeah. How similar to Parkinson's because that tends to affect our population on the other side of their aging journey, you know, and particularly men. Yeah. So there are symptoms that are um, like there are overlapping symptoms between the two diseases, mm. like uh, movement disorder, right? Parkinson's has movement problems. Uh, Batten disease uh, affected kids also have similar kind of problems. Um, clumsiness, um, sometimes some mental problem are also um, uh, noticed in Batten disease. Um, seizures, like as I said, seizure is a, a common symptom, which is common with epilepsy. Yes. Um, and other mental conditions are overlapping with Alzheimer's and uh, Batten disease. Now, that's kind of on the symptom side. Now, what we do is we are looking at a molecular level. And at the molecular level, we are looking inside the cells that are affected by the diseases. And when we look inside the cells, we see there are certain similarities. Like, for example, um, our cells have uh, recycling machinery. They are called lysosomes. They are kind of like um, the janitors or the garbage trucks right. um, that go around. Yeah. So what we have noticed is in Batten disease-affected neurons, as well as in Parkinson's disease-affected neurons, and um, Alzheimer's disease-affected neurons, there is a common phenotype, which is basically these garbage trucks or these janitors are defective. And if these janitors are defective, that means there is garbage that is piling up in the cells, which is always toxic for the cell. Mm. And that is actually one of the most um, known underlying um, phenotype or underlying cause. Um, it can be actually a cause or an effect. We still don't know. It's it's a, a chicken or egg question. Right. Right. Um, uh, and... Um, it has been shown in all of these three diseases that these lysosomes or the genitals are defective. So that's how I would say they have this overlap. Right. So both really, truly horrid diseases, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you talk about research, because we've just discussed a lot of different facets of research, can you tell the listeners what that actually entails in a normal setting, which I know is not what we're currently finding ourselves in, but um, I'm just keen for people to know when a scientist or when a researcher says, oh, I'm doing research, what does that actually look like for you in a day? Mm. Um, that's a great question, Kelly. Um, uh, and I'm, this is not the first time I got this question. The first time I got <laughs> this question was from my mum, actually. Um, <laughs> does she because, still understand? Did she? Get, does oh, yeah, yeah, oh, she does. Um, she, she kind of supervised my education, so <laughs> she has to answer her uh, friends as well when her friends ask her. Right, so of course. She asked me, like, what exactly do you do? Um, <laughs> and when I say, like, I work on bat and this is Parkinson's, she's like, have you cured them? And I was like, and I go like, yeah, I wish I can cure them. Um, these are very complex diseases, so they need um, to be known at the very basic, which, again, brings us to the molecular level. Mm. So when someone asks me, like, what do you do in a, like, daily routine basis in, in your lab? So... We have a unique system in our lab where um, we generate human cells from skin cells and um, human brain cells from skin cells. So these human brain cells, we use these human brain cells 
either to look at what happens, what are the changes going on inside these cells when these cells are affect, uh, affected by a disease versus a normal healthy brain cell. And if we get these um, points that are changing inside the disease um, cell, mm-hmm. disease brain cells, then we start to kind of like join the dots. Like for example, in a disease inside a cell, we look into A, B, C, things are malfunctioning, yes. which leads to X, Y, Z um, function, um, changes of symptoms. And then we join the dots and that's how we get to know what is changing and we try to rectify or correct that change so that the disease cell goes back to a normal healthy cell. So again, going back to your question, um, it's mostly looking inside the cells, what is going on inside the cells in a disease condition versus normal condition, and then trying to recognize what can we do to rectify those changes so that we can rescue the phenotype or rescue the symptoms of those cells. Right. So when we talked to Xiaowen um, a couple of weeks ago, now she is doing some research around Alzheimer's and she was saying, oh, everything has failed in the past. And I said, I don't really know if I like the word failed. Um, In science, you probably call it quite cutthroat and probably say failed. But really, everything you find out that did or didn't work, in my opinion, is a success because it all contributes to the pathway to finding out how we can hope. Absolutely. I completely agree with you because what I look at it as it's a big, it's a, it's a, it's a very big jigsaw puzzle, yes. right? Every single thing we do is a piece of the puzzle and it puts a piece inside the puzzle, in mm. the puzzle. And that's how we can finish the puzzle. Every single effort that has um, that scientists before us have um, put in, whether they have failed, that actually have helped us that to know that, okay, that has failed. That means let's not do that. Let's find something else. So it has given us an alternate route to look yes. at the disease, to target yes. the disease. So I don't believe, yes, um, I, I completely agree with you. This is not a failure. It's not a failure. We, we do research. We um, discover something which is always helpful, always. Even if it's like as little as the function of a protein, we get to know, okay, this is the structure of a protein or the function of a protein. And then we can mani- or then we can manipulate ourselves to look at different proteins or other partners of the proteins and how this protein works. And, and that's an information that we always will use um, for future, um, um, I would say, future treatments. Right, yes. Um, and so that's on a normal kind of situation, what you do in a day. How is you and the rest of your team coping with managing the day-to-day and us finding in ourselves in this higher COVID level when I imagine your cells need all the attention that they normally would get. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's a tricky situation, stressful situation. Let me remind you that when we are under stress, our brain cells change as well. So there is a lot of research on that too. Um, Related to the COVID lockdown, our access is definitely limited. Um, we can only maintain those cells, but we still carry on with our research. We say sometimes we analyze the data that we have um, gathered mm-hmm. before the COVID lockdown, and then at sitting at home, we can still do research. We can do a lot of reading 
what is going on related to say patent disease or Parkinson's in other countries, other laboratories, and that's how we carry on. Um, the other thing that I would mention is um, I don't know whether you have um, noticed in the last one year or so there has been several anecdotal evidence that um, people who are affected by COVID-19 also have um, some sometimes and not all of them um, show some neurological symptoms and that's also one of our research that we are um, well, doing. Yes, I was going to ask you about that because I think you, and you'll have to remind me of your fellow colleagues, applied for some funding, didn't you, from the Brain Health Research Centre last year? Yes. Um, because there was a variety of unusual symptoms that seemed to be being reported on, mm-hmm. which were more than the expected lung issues, weren't there? So um, I think they were more from memory, was it? dizziness, seizures, and was it a risk of stroke that kind of also came into that? So, Yeah, dizziness, dizziness, risk of stroke, I would say, loss of consciousness, um, and sometimes seizures as well. Um, Yeah, there are a number of um, symptoms that has been noted in patients who have been infected. And so you and, it was two other, there's three of you, isn't there? There's... Yeah, it's, it's a big team, actually. We are, so in our lab, um, it's me, and then, um, of course, Associate Professor Stephanie Hughes, and another research fellow, Dr. Lucia Schweitzer. Um, so we three are doing it in from our group, um, and um, there is an um, assistant research fellow named Jennifer Palmer, um, yes. and, um, but she's leaving, so uh, she's leaving for her uh, future studies. Um, but she has been she has contributed a lot to this project. So this is our neuro team, and then there is a COVID team, right? Which is um, at the University of Chicago, um, Professor Miguel um, and um, uh, and his postdoc, um, Dr. Harford. So Rodri Harford. So you, the COVID team. So mm-hmm. sorry, everyone, we're kind of jumping around a bit, but the COVID team, which is another bit of a research um, project. What are you trying to ascertain? So what we are trying to do is um, we're, we're looking into the, or we're trying to discover, inve- uh, investigate, I would say, investigate the mechanisms mm. um, which are changing, again, at the molecular level when the virus is attacking our neurons. So we have seen from our results that the virus can attack the neurons and can kill the neurons. Now, we don't know why they're killing the neurons or how they're doing, and that's what we are trying to figure out. It could be basically... It could be two effects. One, the virus is directly affecting the neurons and killing it, literally shredding it in pieces. Or two, the virus is affecting a smaller number of neurons which are uh, secreting or giving out some proteins which are toxic for their neighboring neurons. So that's like a secondary effect. So to do that, we are looking at changes in proteins and changes in RNA levels when the virus is, uh, is attacking the What's neurons. What's an RNA level? You'll have to... So it's basically we are looking at the genes that are changing. Right. Um, and um, we, when the gene is changing, the protein can change as well. So we are looking at both, um, both the genes and the protein levels. And what are you changing. hoping to, to get out, you know, what are you hoping clinically that it can improve? So what we are <clears throat> looking at is um, targets, right, literally targets. That means like, say the virus is attacking the neuron and a protein goes 
malfunctioning, the mm. protein goes functioning, right? Just like our um, uh, Batten disease and Parkinson's disease, we're trying to figure out like which are the things that are malfunctioning and then we are trying to recover or rescue those uh, mm. things, right? So here also, if we know why or how the virus is actually attacking the neurons, then we might be able to stop that attacking. Or even if it attacks, we might be able to give the neurons an extra layer of protection um, that can help them survive against the virus. Right. Very, very early days. Have you found any inroads? Not yet. No. Um, we have been... With, so what we are trying to do is we are trying to mimic a more physiological condition. You know, like when the um, virus attacks the human body, um, there is like lung infection and there is respiratory problem and there is. So we are trying to mimic that kind of a situation in the brain as well so that the brain is not in 100% full capacity. And um, we were mimicking that and that's when the lockdown happened. So that has been... Perfect timing. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. So it's been postponed, but we we are hoping to find some answers by the end of this year. Oh, it sounds really encouraging, actually. And it's always really humbling to hear such passion coming from the scientific world um, and heartening to have so many of these researchers, you included, funded through the support of the Neurological Foundation donors. Um, So thank you very much for your time today and thank you to everyone that's been listening because I know how busy you are, Indranul. Um, Is there anything you'd like to add before we um, say goodbye for this segment? Absolutely. Um, None of this work would have been possible without Neurological Foundation, without Kelly Bain, without (laughs) uh, the donors. And so, so many thanks, millions and millions of thanks for supporting us. Um, And we promise to keep the good work going, Um, beat lockdown, beat not lockdown. We will keep going. Um, Thanks for all the support. Thanks for all the encouragement. And thanks for giving me this opportunity to speak. Oh, thank thank you. you. That was unsolicited. So thank you very much. Um, And thank you, as I say, for everyone that's taken the time to listen. I hope you got just as much out of this conversation as I did. If you'd like to get hold of me, please do not hesitate to email me. Um, You can find my details on our website, which is neurological.org. And if you've been tuning in on our earlier segments, you'll know that I'm the Relationship Manager for the South Island, and it's my pleasure to help you with any queries you have. Kakite from the both of us. Many thanks again to our fantastic supporters at the Neurological Foundation for providing us with that interview, and to our sponsors, the Nelson Clinic. Tune in to Heads Up, playing Thursday mornings following the BBC News at 9. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.